the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Fred Kennedy. All right, welcome to our program. We got lots to get to today here on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. Uh, the Sens may be keen now on Yessi Pugliarvi. Adam Gaudet will not be back with the club. He's not going to get a qualifying offer. Trent Mann and Ryan Bonus, both new assistant GMs. Behind Pierre Dorian, the Sens preseason schedule is out. Nick Paul gets re-signed in Tampa Bay. And Victor Mete issues a statement on Hockey Canada's sexual assault lawsuit. I was not present. All still ahead here today on the Sens Nation podcast. It is Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. What is going on, Greg? Beautiful long weekend, eh, Stevie? I, I've enjoyed a little baseball. I've enjoyed a little uh, comfort at home. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to watch the new Bond tonight. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm looking forward to that just for the rest of my evening tonight. How about you? Uh, very good. I went to uh, Carlton Golf and Yacht with friends and uh, played a little golf on, what was that, Saturday? And uh, no, wait, Friday. Yeah, Friday. And uh, had a fantastic Canada Day as well. Canada Day, as we always like to say. So I uh, had some, uh, again, friends over for drinks and things. So it was a great weekend for sure. And it's uh, fun to round out with a little Sens talk with you. And uh, let's jump in. And uh, a couple of uh, interesting Sens notes. Quite a few interesting Sens notes for the off season. And uh, between shows, we find out that Adam Gaudet is not going to be back, not getting a qualifying offer. Was that any surprise to you? Was that just sort of a... You know, just a interchangeable band-aid like we've talked about in the past. Yeah, I think so. I think we've we've determined that we uh, we've counted off at least what seven, eight guys between the two of us here who we think can fill in in that bottom six. You've got the uh, the emergence of Castellick, uh, the emergence of uh, Parker Kelly. Um, you've got uh, now help Young me guys out, on the way. Watson's there. You've got guys in the way. You've got Ridley Gregg. Um, there's there's enough bodies around that I, that uh, Adam Gaudet was a a piece that maybe wasn't required. Yeah, I, I thought he was a nice player, but absolutely, that's the nature of when you re-sign RFAs, you have to give a qualifying offer, which means for a guy of Gaudet's salary, which is just under a million dollars, you're talking about a five percent raise, and Gaudet is already kind of a reach at a million dollars when you can get guys that are equally capable down around minimum wage in their entry-level contracts. So, you know, you let him go and maybe you circle back to that guy at some point. I don't know, but you know, nothing that Adam Gaudet did here while he was serviceable, he didn't do anything that would merit a raise per se when you've got so many other options, but it is kind of interesting that Gaudet is now out. And this is a team, the start of the year, Greg, that we talked about, um, you know, I mean, I was talking at this time last year. I felt like, oh, my God, this team could potentially compete for a playoff spot. I think I actually said, I think they will make the playoffs. And I was dead wrong, obviously. But the organization as well, the start of this season, they were talking pretty big, like they thought that the playoffs could be a potential you know, rebuild is over, all that. Well, for a team that announced that the rebuild is over, look at all the guys. All these guys played at least half the season that are now gone. Adam Gaudet. Tyler Ennis, Nick Paul, Chris Tierney, uh, Zach Sanford, Victor Mete, and Josh Brown. That's a that's a big old big old uh, change up for a team whose rebuild is completed. Well, yeah, having like I agree with what you're saying. I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, it's it's the bottom six. It's the bottom of your roster. 
And in today's NHL, those are interchangeable parts. Normally on a, on a high-end team, they're interchangeable because the, the top-end guys start costing too much. So you need to move out some guys at a million and a half or two million down at the bottom and bring in some guys at 750 or 850. In the case of the Senators, you're always looking to get better. And uh, I, I think there's there's improvement ahead. There are better players uh, uh, in the system now, and and there are there are better players that can that can fill those roles in your bottom six or in your bottom two D. And let's see what let's see what the lineup looks like. We were told not to judge anything. Pierre made it yeah. clear don't don't judge us till September October. So uh, we'll we'll hold off and see what it ends up looking like. Don't forget Dylan Gambrell is still here. He's a guy who contributed and, and and played well for them in the bottom six. So there's there's still guys around. Um, I I think they're going to be okay. We'll, we'll we'll see what the final roster looks like. Yeah, no, those are all good points. I think it's a case of uh, that. I just have this. I had this image in my head of uh, you know just supreme stability when we're talking rebuild is over. But you're right. Not many of those guys would be guys that you'd say even on a team that is fairly stable, um, with the exception of maybe Nick Paul. Everybody there is pretty interchangeable, and even if you were a Stanley Cup winner, if you had those guys in your bottom half of the team, you'd be probably looking to move on from them too. There is a certain amount of um, changeover every season with every team. It just uh, that that seemed like a little higher number for me. That's all. Well, I think the other thing is that depending on what happens with the top six, somebody in your current top six could be moving into your middle six, could be moving into your your bottom six. So there's there's that possibility too of of an addition coming in. Don't forget Shane Pinto's still around. So you you, you drop a Pinto in, uh, you drop a, a free agent signing maybe, uh, and 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 suddenly you've got extra bodies around. So so what, there's nothing. You're just clearing out some space, some lineup space, and and some some salary. Yeah, I reserve the right to go back to this take because you know when he says the rebuild is over and seven guys go out the door at some point in the season or in the off season. Uh, if it stays like that, okay. But we are all expecting some wheeling and dealing now. And if any of the guys off the existing roster come off, I reserve the right to come back to this take. Fair enough. Also in the news, Trent Mann and Ryan Bonus, our new assistant GMs with the Ottawa Senators. I found the whole dialogue kind of interesting in, in, uh, in the case of Trent Mann in particular. Here's a guy who's been heading up their amateur scouting. And he's said to have a promotion. He's now going to be assistant GM. He's been promoted in this role, but he's still doing the old job. So while Pierre Maguire goes out the door and Peter McTavish, who's officially the assistant GM, goes out the door, joins some player agency uh, based out of Montreal. Two guys go out the door and technically only one comes in and Ryan Bonus, who is working in the scouting department with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I don't know. It, it doesn't leave me with a... A great feeling, Greg, because we've been talking about this team for years now as having a pretty small, bare-bone-sized front office staff. Their hockey operations department could use expansion. This looks a little bit like contraction to me. Yeah, it was the one thing we said um, when we when we first talked about McTavish leaving and and looking for for bodies. I said, I just I hope that whatever they do with somebody from outside, it's an addition and not a promotion. And unfortunately, that's what this looks like. It looks like a, a bonus doesn't exactly have a wealth of experience, but at least his experience most recently has been in the pro scouting side. And I think we can all agree that that has maybe been a bit of a weakness lately. Um, but the, the whole idea of, of man becoming an assistant GM, but he's still a head scout, just it just it reeks of 
uh, let's give the guy a raise and make sure he sticks around. That's the way I look at it, I think. We'll talk about Rick Bonus here in a second because he's in the news as well, but Ryan is Rick's son, and he would know Ottawa well, spent a bit of his childhood here back in the early 90s when his dad, Rick, was the first head coach in Sens history. And, you know, there's always that talk of nepotism, right? There's always that discussion of, you know, did he really earn this position where he's at right now or it was a gravy training off his dad or something. Certainly the door gets opened for the sons of NHLers, but he's been a hockey lifer, Ryan Bonus has. He played for a long time. He was four years in the OHL, so good player. Four more at St. Mary's. Worked 13 years in hockey ops with the Thrashers, Jets, and Penguins. And uh, I'd say he's paid his dues. You can't look at that guy and say he's exclusively there because of his last name. Yeah, he's the kind of guy, like like his resume says, uh, his his next stop or his next step in, in the hockey chain is he becomes a head scout somewhere or or he becomes a, a a second assistant GM, which is exactly what this is. It's a it's a step up. He's moving up in his career, advancing himself, and his resume is varied. Three different organizations, so maybe brings some some ideas on how things are done elsewhere, which is always good. He brings a perspective of of having a good in depth knowledge of of at least a couple organizations out there. And like we said, pro scouting in the last few years with Pittsburgh is really nice because that has been a weakness with this club. Do you think the Mans are next in line yeah. for the two big jobs? If they decide, you know, we all we all agree, if the Sens stink it out again this year, then I don't see Pierre Dorian or DJ Smith surviving professionally. That would leave Trent Mann as your assistant GM and Troy Mann as your head coach down in Belleville, both as serious candidates to be replacements. Could this be the Mann show here in Ottawa? Yeah, I fully agree. I, I I think I texted that to you. It's all set up for the Man Brothers show here. And then you came back with a very good point, too, that if the house is going to get cleaned, maybe everybody gets cleaned out. So maybe it's not the two mans who are going to end up running the show. But I, I think it's more likely than not that that is the future. Like if I was to put some money down right now on who the next GM is, I'd say, yeah, it's Trent Mann. And if I was to talk about who I thought the next coach would be, I would say it'd be Troy Mann. But you, you made another point where you thought maybe they'd, it'd be a house cleaning kind of thing. You're still leaning that way? Well, only if the ownership changes. If, yeah. if this team gets sold, I'm the new owner with the fresh face. I've got deep pockets, hopefully. <laughs> and I don't want anyone around who's still associated with what's happened here in the last 10 years. Not just five years, the last decade for the most part. <laughs> you know, a, a nice little run in 2017, but for the most part, this... This last decade, uh, you know, has borne no resemblance to what we saw in the decade before that. That that takes completely out the window. Everything's off the table. Everything's up for review if there is a new owner of this franchise. Yeah, and you're 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 probably correct. It's it's normal. Uh, what is it? New broom sweeps clean. It's it's normal yep. in most organizations throughout the throughout the NHL. People, I'll give you an example. People look at a, a Mike Keenan and said, "My God, the guy gets fired a lot." But almost every situation where he was fired, whoever hired him was no longer there anymore. Almost every time it right. was a, a different GM or in most cases, a different owner came along and boom, the guy was out the door. It's it's fairly normal in professional sports that a new ownership group comes in and a new ownership has their own people and they put them in place. Ryan Bonus's job I found interesting because first I read that he's going to be the one that oversees contractual related items which made me kind of think of him as more of the, you know, the clerical, the administrative side of the management role in hockey. 
But then on the other side of the coin, they also name him as the new general manager of the Belleville Senators. Mm. So my, my immediate thought would be, I'm surprised that's not going to Trent Mann. If you've decided this is your contract guy, I would have thought Trent Mann would be the GM in Belleville, but I guess he's going to be busy in Ottawa still as basically the head amateur scout still. Yeah, interesting. I guess, it, it, you know what? That's the exact role that was filled by, you'll remember when Pierre was an assistant GM and concentrated more on the scouting side. The other assistant GM at that time under Brian Murray was the uh, dearly departed uh, Randy Lee. We don't need to get into that, but Randy was the capologist and the GM of uh Binghamton at that time though so that's sort of the way the duties were handled then under Brian Murray when uh, Pierre Dorian was one of the assistants and I guess that's a model that he likes and, and that's the way it's going to be yeah so he is the uh, Belleville Senators new general manager and uh, yeah it's going to be interesting the quote from the organization it was Pierre Dorian his quote in the press release Trent is shown uh, to be one of the top evaluators of an amateur talent in the industry and has progressed to become an invaluable resource to the entire organization. Ryan is a critical thinker whose experience will allow him to contribute to a wide variety of areas. His success in professional scouting, along with his ability to communicate in detail, makes him an ideal complement to our hockey group. The one thing I saw was when I was kind of looking him up and Googling him, because I didn't know anything about Ryan Bonus, was uh, the Bones Cup Bash in 2017. Everybody gets their day with a cup, whether they're a player, a coach, or in management, or a scout. And he got his day with the with the cup. And uh, Rick Bonus was there, and all friends and family were there. And it looked like a great shindig. And then I got thinking about it. I said, "Yeah, 2017 Stanley Cup. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not feeling so good about that particular run because, of course, it came at the expense of the Ottawa Senators double overtime game seven Eastern Conference Final. I hate you, Chris Kunitz. I hate you." Anyway, <laughs> detail for another day. Well, yeah, the, no, the other thing is, though, he's a, it, with, a, with a background in pro scouting, that's how you fill out a roster uh, of an American Hockey League team. You've got to find guys that are American Hockey Leaguers that are the right age at the right contract, the right amount of, of dollars. It, that, that whole team isn't all just guys waiting to come up here and play. You need to find veteran bodies to play down there. And with his background in pro scouting, I would think he would know the American League inside and out and would be able to find players to, to put, a, put together a pretty good roster down there. All right, moving on. Victor Mete is uh, technically still an Ottawa Senator. End of the season, free agency just around the corner. He will stop being an Ottawa Senator. But he issued a statement on Twitter on Thursday stating he was not present at the 2018 Hockey Canada Gala that resulted in the alleged sexual assault of a woman by eight hockey players, some of whom were apparently on the Team Canada 2018 World Junior Team. And that would also include Ottawa Senators Drake Batherson and Alex Formanton. And so basically the quote was, or the uh, release read, uh, the names of the eight players. Okay, so it left an, here's the statement. It left an unfortunate cloud uh, over every player who was on the Canadian team that won a gold medal at the World Junior Championship six months earlier in January of 2018. Mete added, he believes it's important to state he was not at the gala event when this appalling event occurred, as he states he was away on vacation in Jamaica at the time and only learned of the story through media reports. Now, the alleged victim's original claims were filed in April, and they referred to the eight players as John Doe's one through eight. The claims said the players were 
quote, members of the CHL and Hockey Canada included, or including, but not limited to, members of Canada's U-20 men's junior hockey team. And uh, it was an awful situation, awful allegations, it, uh, it, brutal stuff. And I think a lot of people are really upset with Hockey Canada for basically settling the lawsuit out of court. And now names are, according to the, I guess the way they handled this thing in court, the names are not to come out, but a lot of people want names to come out and they're upset with Hockey Canada for kind of quashing everything. So what did you think of Victor Mete's statement, Greg? Well, I think it's a good sign. I'd like to hear from all of them. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know who was there and who was involved? And I don't know if the NHL is going to be able to get uh, get to the bottom of it or not with their investigation or if anybody's going to be able to. Like, there are there are gag orders in place uh, from the victim. The victim initiated the whole idea of, of, of these gag orders. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm torn. Should they be investigating? Should they be digging in? Are they, are they even allowed to? Have they spoken to the victim and said, you know, like, we, we want to find out who these people are. And if the victim is like, no, uh, it's not important. I don't want any news out there. Then, then it should all stop right away. And I think that's, that's the sort of the fine line that's being walked here. If all the players who weren't involved speak up and say they weren't involved, it won't be difficult to figure out who was involved. All right, let's move on because I always feel ugh, feel awful talking about that story in particular. And uh, we're here to have some fun and talk a little hockey, but that needed to be addressed for sure with yeah, yeah. Victor Mete coming out with his statement this week. Um, let's move on to talk a little bit about some possibilities. Last episode, we talked about Kevin Fiala off the table, but we have another RFA out there that whose names have been being kicked around. That is Yessi Pugliarvi, who is, uh, I would say, probably as early first rounders go a disappointment where he's at right now in his career. Everybody expected a ton more from this guy. Let's put in perspective what Pugliarvi was back in, I think it was the 2016 world juniors. And he was like as highly regarded as they came. He was the leader in the world juniors in scoring 17 points in seven games. And this was a tournament by the way, that had Austin Matthews, Sebastian Ajo, Matthew Kachuk, Patrick Laine, Braden Point, Mitch Marner, and he blew them all away. And he certainly, though, unfortunately for him, he has not been able to translate his junior excellence to the NHL level by any stretch, though he did have a career year this year with 36 points in 65 games, a dud in the playoffs, five points in 20 playoff games. What do you think about Jesse Pugliarvi as a possibility for any team, and in particular the Ottawa Senators? Well, <laughs> here's a guy who uh, played the majority of his ice time this season for the for, played the majority of his time for the majority of the season with McDavid, and to come up with a grand total of what did you just say was it twelve goals, fourteen goals? That's not enough for a guy who played in those kind of minutes and that on that kind of line and on the power play too. He basically started the year as a top six forward. By the end of the year, he was a bottom six forward, and in the playoffs, he was played as such. And hardly got any any ice time on the power play come the playoffs. I think the first warning sign was probably when Yarmo Kekalainen, a Finn, with the third overall pick in that 2016 draft you just mentioned, he's up there drafting third. He doesn't mm-hmm. take Pugliarvi. He passed on Pugliarvi and took uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. So that wow. was probably the first sort of warning sign. Um, and then the guy goes over to... Edmonton, he's not producing. He goes home for a while. He comes back, and 
still not really do didn't do too much this year. I just look at that Edmonton Oiler lineup and I look at the top six and I'm thinking McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh Hyman and and RNH and Kyler Yamamoto was still there who was past Pugliarvi on the depth chart. And that leaves five, that's five guys. That leaves one spot in your top six. And we haven't even discussed Evander Kane yet, who's probably going to resign. So is is Pugliarvi even a top six guy in Edmonton right now? And if he's not, then I'm kind of leery on what I'm going to give up. I know Ken Holland has said uh, all year and and through the off season, like he's not just going to give this guy away. They're going to be looking for somebody that can step in and play and contribute to the lineup right away. So like, like the, the first rounder would be way too much to give up. A second rounder would not be enough to give up. So what's it going to take to get Pugliarvi? If it's not going to take a lot, then and, and if it's not going to take a lot of dollars, then yeah, okay. But if it's going to cost you a lot, uh, I'm, I'm passing on this guy. What, what, what are you thinking? No, I'm in the same boat. I'd rather have Connor Brown there. I mean, he's a right winger. Oh, yeah. You've already got, you got Connor Brown for another year at least. And uh, my feeling on him, if he, in fact, wants to test the UFA waters next summer, I'm going to keep him around to the deadline and then move on from there. But for now, I'll keep Connor Brown, thanks, on my right side in my top six. And, of course, Drake Drake, Drake Batherson's going to hold the other job down. So I think they're in good shape at right wing. It's not really a need as far as, uh, you know, and, and, and Pugliarvi, I just don't. He's, he's in no way, shape, or form an upgrade on Connor Brown. And... Uh, I might look at it, you know, just roll the bones and say, okay, maybe that guy still has something. Maybe there's still more there. He had a, again, that's a career year with 36 points. And uh, and maybe, just maybe, there's still something there because that was a 17-year-old, by the way. That, we yeah. all know that World Junior Tournament is an 18- and 19-year-old tournament. He was 17 and draft eligible when he led the entire tournament that year. So I think um, you know, there's still he's still young enough that maybe you roll the bones, but I'm not giving up a ton. That guy made $1.1 million last year in Edmonton. So you can see what they think of him based on salary. Uh, but statistically, you know, if you can if you can get him signed, you know, for under $2 million and not have to give up very much, sure, why not? That was a very highly regarded player for quite a long time. Yeah, he's a guy who could go either way, right? He's one, he, he could be on his way up. He could step in here and, and play with the right players in the right type of system and, and produce and look like a stud. Or he could come in here and just sort of continue the way he's sort of middling, meddling along as a as a middle six forward. He's just, I, I think there are better top six forward candidates out there. His own countrymen, for crying out loud. Like, like what is Columbus doing with Line A? <laughs> Line mm-hmm. A might be a, would be a much better fit. I'd be much happier to have Patrick Line A here than, than Yessi Pugliarvi. I, I I'd be happier with Claude Giroux than I would with Yessi Pugliarvi. Oh God, yeah, everybody would. Um, it, I just look at it, it if it's cheap, then kick yeah. the tires. The same way you, the same way Brian Murray years ago kicked the tires on Nikita Filatov, very high first round draft pick, but. They just took a, they kicked the tires on him and they, they realized pretty quickly, no, this guy just doesn't have it as an NHL player. Bye bye. It didn't last long. They didn't give up much to get him. And so, third uh, rounder. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, so, if it's a second or third rounder, maybe it's something you look at as long as he's not looking for crazy money or anything like that. But it sounds like he's done in Edmonton. There's no doubt about that. All right. Time to do a little business here. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you're thinking about a nice used vehicle for the summer, maybe a little uncertain about it. You want to make a smart choice? Well, Jim K. Ford, our title sponsor, removes all of your worries, and we hope we'll give them a shot. Jim K. Ford is your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. 
How about a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage? Full history report of the vehicle, purchase financing rates 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. That's peace of mind. Check out jimk4.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. Since preseason schedule is out, nothing big there. They got a lot of action with the heated rivals. The Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs will take up seven of the eight games. The Jets will be the other one. And uh, that's a lot of preseason games, Greg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about this on an earlier show. The idea that they wanted to play more games. Um, the thought being... And and I think their their stated thought was we want to be ready to go when the season starts, which is all well and good. But I want them to be down to like twenty five guys for those last three or four games. I, right. Like, I don't want them playing game seven and still using guys who are ticketed to Belleville and everybody knows it. Like take yeah. those last three or four games as though they're the first three or four for your regular season. Get the big guys in the lineup, play with the real team, play every night like it's a real game. And then maybe just the transition into game one of the regular season is just, hey, it's just another game. Let's let's just keep it rolling. Those last two are going to be in Gander and Moncton as part of Kraft Hockeyville, like the last two before they hit the regular season running. Is that relevant at all? Like this locale, if the idea is to hit the ground running on opening night of the regular season, does not being in your rink, being in these... Moncton's going to be nice, but the Gander rink is apparently, by NHL standards anyway, pretty Mickey Mouse. So does that factor in at all to your hopes of hitting the ground running on opening night? Well, it, it factors in when you consider what, what the facility is like. Uh, like, I'm not worried about how many seats there are in the place. I'm worried about the, the construction of the of the boards. I'm worried about the quality of the ice. So I'm thinking about, an, from an injury standpoint, who right. do we want to play or not play in those those games if it might uh, if it might present uh, a possibility for somebody to get hurt, so that's the only factor that might play into it. But still, you can be down to twenty five guys, and you can sit Kachuk and Stutzla if you think you know. So, well, although Brady'd want to play no matter what the facility was, but you could you could sit a Stutzla. Um, you probably can't sit the Drake because he's a Maritimer, and even though it's Newfoundland, it doesn't matter. They're still going to sh show up. They'll be all over the Drake. But there are certain guys where maybe you might want to sit him out of this one, a Thomas Shabbat, a Josh Norris. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I'd, I'd like them to be damn close to the full lineup for those last two games. In our last episode, we played back the clip of Nick Paul saying he wanted to stay in Tampa Bay. He wants more playoffs. Sounded all excited about things. But he, he even he knew at that point that nothing was guaranteed. Well, it looks like the feeling is mutual because the Tampa Bay Lightning just signed Nick Paul this past week to a seven-year contract worth $3 million. Coming at it from a Sens fan perspective, I'm sure there's maybe a little frustration there. Now, they got Matthew Joseph, really nice asset, but to see what Nick Paul did in the playoffs and to see that he only cost $3 million, I'm sure there's some fans, Sens fans out there, Greg, that are going, why didn't they get that done? <laughs> well, let's let's look at it realistically here. He he took a little less because he wants to be on a winner. He he loved every minute of the playoff drive and being around that atmosphere. So, okay, I'll take a bit of a, a haircut so that I can play in Tampa. I think the second thing is you take a bit of a haircut because you're in the state of Florida, so your taxes are completely different. So if if you kind of factor other issues in if you're if you're signing for three million a year to play in florida what would you get if it was in ontario and right off the bat you'd be starting at three and a half if not four 
Uh, I think the fact that they gave him seven years. Now, that that favors Tampa in the sense that, well, okay, we got him locked up. We don't need to worry about having to replace this guy in another year or two because he's making too much money or because he's his contract is running out and look at, oh, we got to give him a raise. Like, He's locked in like that. That's wonderful from a that's that's team friendly in that sense. I'm, I'm sure that Nick Paul will will give them at least five good years. And, and who knows what the last two years are like by then. Maybe he gets moved somewhere to a team in a playoff drive or, you know, he, he's injured and retired by then. Who knows? But but seven years at three million is a is a real, real, really good deal. For sure. I, and I like the Matthew Joseph component, so. And Pierre Dorian talked about it. Like it sounded, I mean, if you're to take him at his word, it, it sounds like there was a chance that Nick Paul might get re-signed at the deadline. That is until Matthew Joseph was presented to him. And so I think that, you know, I'm inclined to, based on what I saw from Matthew Joseph, buy that as a possible reason as to why Nick Paul was moved along. Not just the fact that he was, uh, you know, maybe not on the same page financially, but also the fact that Matthew Joseph was going to be available because from a hockey perspective, leaving aside the money, that's that's a good hockey deal. Matthew Joseph was a point-of-game guy in his time here. What I'm concerned about, and I think it still is a chance to be a win-win deal, no question, but I do, what I can't shake is that I really respect Steve Eiserman and, uh, and, and, the, and, the te- and the management team that he left behind there. Uh, these guys have had an opportunity to look at Matthew Joseph in a long Stanley Cup playoff run in the past. And they had a chance this year to look at Nick Paul in a long Stanley Cup playoff run. And they only re-signed one guy. They could have re-signed Joseph. They decided, okay, we got to move on from him. And they had a good look at Nick Paul, and he was the one they decided to re-sign. So that makes me wonder if maybe history will show that the uh, maybe Tampa Bay got the better of Ottawa. But we'll see. Only time will tell. Well, I think it's two different types of players, too. Like, what type yeah. of player did the Tampa Bay Lightning want? on their third line. Nick Paul was that type of player, not Matthew Joseph. Uh, Stronger, uh, more durable, uh, defensively far superior to a Matthew Joseph. Um, Matthew Joseph's a complete different type of hockey player, and that was not the kind of player that Tampa wants. But I I, I do see your point that they're very smart people down there, and they decided they didn't need Matthew Joseph. I think more we need to look at it more as they're very smart people down there, and they knew they needed a player like Nick Paul. They needed another a player to replace a Barkley Goudreau or to replace uh, uh, Yanni Gord, who also left that third line, right? And and uh, Blake Coleman. That was their third line. Nick Paul is is much more like those guys than Matthew Joseph is. Joseph, excellent defensively too. He's he can play a lot of uh, PK action both in Tampa and Ottawa. But uh, yeah, I just Nick Paul was. You know, we, we're they'll probably have that discussion about third line and where he fits in. But, you know, ice time tells you everything and, and the way he's allotted and to see that he's out there. It's, it's game six of the Stanley Cup final. And you've oh, got yeah. I know you had injuries and everything, but it was clear that they were, you know, John Cooper was leaning heavily on Nick Paul. Anyway, enough of Nick Paul looking, for a you're, while. You're looking at Tyler Boucher replacing him. <laughs> you're looking at Ridley Gregg replacing him. Uh, Shane Pinto replacing him. They're uh, Castellick, Parker Kelly. They're, the the Sens have guys that can fill that role. I think taking a shot at a Matthew Joseph and immediately putting him in the top six tells you that they saw something on the offensive side that they want him to be able to produce. And if he can produce next season as he did in his brief time here at the end of last season, then wow, it's really a good deal. And and it, it really is a win-win. 
Yeah. I heard a lot of talk about from Sens fans saying, well, you know, we got to pay this guy and we got to pay that guy. We have to keep that in mind in the next couple of years. You know, think about the cap. Well, come on. Who's in more cap hell than Tampa Bay? And they still found a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, closing it out today, Greg. We uh, Craig Anderson is re-signed with Buffalo. Congrats to him at the age of, uh, was he 63? Uh, no, he's 41. <laughs> and some other signings on the coaching front. This is a record, I think, of uh, coach activity between episodes. Since we last got together in our last episode, Rick Bonus is signed on as Winnipeg Jets head coach. Jimmy Montgomery is signed on as Bruins head coach. Derek Lalonde is the new Red Wings head coach. If you don't know who he is, he is uh, was Steve Eiserman's assistant GM back in the Tampa Bay days. And now that Eiserman's the Red Wings GM, he brings Lalonde on as his head coach. Obviously, uh, life with Derek was good between those two. And San Jose has fired Bob Bugner. That's the one I want to maybe close the show out with. Like what? What? The, the season ended. The season ended nine weeks ago. What is it? What are the Sharks doing, blowing this guy out this late in the game? I'm wondering if he was good enough for you back then. Now, now there's no jobs left. There's there's very few candidates left to to replace your guy. What's what's the plan out there? I I, I don't get it. That one, I don't know. I we'll wait and see who they hire, or wait and see what happens where where Bugner ends up, and then maybe we can. We can have the proper, all the information to, to formulate an opinion on this one. But uh, yeah. I'm with you. I was surprised by it. Yeah, I think there must have been a blow up, you know, on a golf course or something like yeah. that. And somebody said the wrong thing. There's got to be something more to that story for sure. But, uh, you know, because, I mean, if you're just talking hockey, I'm pretty sure the Sharks record has not changed in the last nine weeks. <laughs> all right, let's close it out there, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget our website is SensNationHockey.com. We appreciate you being here today. Don't forget you can get your praise Alfie t-shirts. At SensNationHockey.com as Alfie prepares for his induction into the Hall of Fame this fall and all kinds of other cool stuff there as well. Greg, enjoy your, well, the next couple of days. We're back on Wednesday, and that's when we'll get into the Sens side of the draft in earnest as everything gets started on Thursday night. It'll be interesting to see if they have their first rounder still or not or the Pierre Dorian takes it shopping. So we shall talk to you next time. Thanks, Greg. Have a good night, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.